0: our Bibles tonight and let's turn to uh, Ecclesiastes and um, let's see chapter 5 started to say 5 and I want to make sure I was right and we're going to look at verses 8 through 20 and uh, these are some things that I call inescapable truths and Solomon is not wanting us to be like a lot of people that work real hard get disillusioned they think they're going to change the world And the world really does resist a lot of change. Um, Some people can make great impact, but within a generation or two, things go back. It's kind of like stretching a rubber band. You can stretch it way out you know, until it pops, of course. But you stretch it way out and then you let go. It tends to go back. It tends to go back. I um, remember when we left First Baptist of Tuttle, there were some things that we had changed and all of that. And nobody griped about it or said anything about it for five years. And I thought, oh, okay, this is good. We left to come to Graceway. Two weeks after we left, the deacons had a meeting and put everything back like it was before. Uh, You know, that's okay. They can do what they want to do. But it's just interesting. Sometimes when you think you've made a change and you think you've made an impact, you find out how depraved the world really is and you find out how resistant to change it is and that happens even with us. And there, sometimes change is forced upon us. But the natural course is, when the pressure's off, we go back to kind of what we were before. Now, that's okay in some cases. If you, um, you know, have been on a really, really clean diet, and then you get to a point that after you know a, a year or two of that, you go, "Man, I just want to go through the McDonald's driveway uh, drive-through and get a Big Mac." Okay, you can do that, and it's probably not going to hurt you unless you go all the way back to what you were before. And um, it's kind of sad when you've kind of gotten a hold on your weight and your health and all of that, and then you let it go and, you know, get back to where you were before or sometimes worse because there's a human nature element in all of that, isn't there? And it's hard to stay uh, focused and hard to be disciplined. And so, you you know, may, you may go to the gym and go... Uh, religiously to the gym and get yourself in good shape and you might do that for six months or for a year maybe two or three years how long does it take to get out of shape not very long at all and it's interesting you don't have much motivation to get uh, you don't have to be motivated to get out of shape do you it just kind of happens But boy, do you ever have to be motivated to get up early, to go to the gym, to go run, to go walk, to eat healthy, all of those kind of things. And if you're not careful, about the time you think you've got it, you'll relapse. And if you don't get it under control, you'll go back to where you were or worse before. Now, I think that is what Solomon is writing about in these particular verses. Everybody, when they're young, they have... Idealism about themselves and about their generation and about their family, and some people really do affect change. Let's think Abraham Lincoln, uh, George Washington, Martin Luther, you know people like that. Very, very cha- uh, change-oriented and very influential. But how long did it take before those movements kind of lost their steam and they lost their power and they lost their influence? And that's what we're always fighting against. We've got to renew the vision. We've got to renew the passion. We've got to renew what we're doing or it tends to kind of fade out and to fade away, human nature. So Solomon writes about that. And here he is, I think, that when he took over for his father David, I think that Solomon had it in his mind, now we're really going to see some change. But the more things change, the more they remain the same. And um, it's a little discouraging to him here. And so let's read about it. Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse 8. And this is the uh, in the Hebrew, it's the kohaleth. In English, it's the preacher. And that's what Ecclesiastes means. And here's Solomon, the king, telling us, verse 8, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice... And righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over um, high official, and higher officials are over them. And moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. He who loves silver, verse 10. "...will not be satisfied with silver, or he who loves abundance with increase." There'll never be enough, will there? This also is vanity, and it's empty, and I think we understand that. Verse 11, "...when goods increase, they increase who eat them." Uh, one translation I read said, "...when you get more loot, you attract more looters." Okay? Okay. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes or just watch it happen? Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, because he works so hard, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. That may be a risky investment or the turn of the economy or something. You lose it. Now when he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. You're going to leave it all behind when you die, verse 16. And this also is a severe evil, just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow. ...and sickness and anger. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink... ...and to enjoy the good of all his labor... ...in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life... ...which God has given him. For it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth... ...in other words, there's no sin in those things... "...and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage, and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life." In other words, he doesn't brood over the past and have a lot of remorse. Because God keeps him, this is interesting, busy with the joy of his heart. Wouldn't it be nice to be kept busy with joy instead of having all the idle time to think and to regret and to have your mind wander and all of that. But have God bless you and so fill you with joy that you're busy with the joy of the Lord. Well, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah says, to be strong and to finish well and to finish with a shout of joy in your life instead of the shout of despair. So Solomon seems to be saying... That no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you acquire, no matter how big your influence may grow, when you die, it's all going to be over. And when you die, you're going to go out the way you came. And Solomon says that as if that's negative. Solomon says that as if that's reason to kind of be depressed and to kind of despair. He calls it chasing after the wind. But I would uh, say maybe... Maybe it's more positive than we might think. Maybe it's something that we need to learn and we need to make sure that when we pass off of the scene, we leave something behind. Well, truth of the matter is, whenever you and I pass off the scene, we're going to leave everything behind, aren't we? But are we leaving people to replace us? Have we discipled? Have we trained anyone? Because whatever you put in your bank account, remember in another Uh, part of Ecclesiastes, we read, you work hard, you acquire things, and then you leave them behind for a fool. Uh, There's something more important than just leaving behind a big bank account or houses or lands or something like that. Are you leaving someone behind who can take up what you've worked so hard for? And it may be that you believe in a certain cause and you pour your life and your soul into it, but if you don't train someone... To take your place when you're gone, it's kind of a foolish thing to do. I've heard a story one time years ago about a king who had a a jester, you know, comical little silly guy. And uh, he told the jester, I've got this little silver wand and I want you to take it. The jester said, why? And he said, I want you to travel the length and breadth of my kingdom. And when you find someone who is a bigger fool than you, give them this wand. So the jester was gone, gone for well over a year, traveling the length and breadth of the kingdom, looking for someone who was more foolish than the little silly jester. One day one of the king's servants caught up with him and said, you've got to come back, the king is gravely ill, and if you want to see him, you've got to come now. And so they hurried back to the palace, and the jester comes in there to the king, and the king is on his deathbed by this point. The jester, of course, is very sad. And the king says to the jester, My little friend, I'm on my way on a journey from which I shall never return. The jester said, Did you know about this journey? And the king said, Yes, it's a journey everyone must take. And the jester said, Did you prepare for this journey? And the king said, No, my friend, sadly, I did not. And with a tear in his eye, the jester handed him the wand and said, then you, sire, are the biggest fool in the kingdom. That seems to be the tone of what I'm reading here. We can work and work and acquire a lot of things that we leave behind that no one's going to care about. Your heirs will sell the land or the house. Things will deteriorate. Money will be distributed It'll be broken down into smaller chunks than what you had, depending on how many heirs you have. And depending on what they do with it, it may be gone in a very short period of time. We've certainly seen that kind of thing happen. There may be squabbles and fights over your possessions and over the money and a lot of ugly things that you really would not like to think about, but they happen. Trust me, I've seen more than my share of those kind of things dealing with families after a loved one, especially a parent or a grandparent, passes on. Well, you can work real hard to leave things that are just going to cause trouble and heartache or that are going to end up just like chasing after the wind. But I think as we read these verses, it ought to take the New Testament believer back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul said to Timothy, The things you have learned from me, commit these to faithful believers who will be able to teach others also. And you find that in the Christian life, our investments are supposed to be more in people than they are in anything else. There's nothing wrong, again, with having money and having houses and lands. God sometimes gives it, and uh, that's fine. But leaving that behind may or may not be the best thing. It's what you put into people. What have you put into your children? What have you put into your grandchildren? What have you put into faithful people in the church? You know, we can waste our time trying to pass on things to people who don't give a rip. People who don't care. People who are just going to waste it. Paul told Timothy, put it in the lives of faithful men, faithful people, faithful believers who are going to take it and do something with it and will teach others. So you have in 2 Timothy 2, too, those four generations. There's Paul, the things you have received from me. Commit to faithful men. That's to Timothy. The faithful men are generation number three that Timothy teaches. And then the other ones who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Boy, that covers a large span of time. That covers a large span of influence, and it keeps it going. And one of the things that is amazing about the early church is the movement did not die. Now, some movements within the church have died, and there are people that I could name that were very famous in their time that you would have no idea who I was talking about. And uh, the same thing is true in history. There are people that they build statues to that we look at, and we go, who in the world is that? And then we read their name. What did he do? What did she do? And there are movements that come and go, and some of them are very effective, and some of them uh, help, and some of them make a difference, but later on, we don't really know the history of it. We don't know what happened, and I think it's sad that as a nation, we're kind of losing our grasp of our own history, the good as well as the bad, because you can learn from the bad. But uh, Solomon says, what's it all for and what's it all about? Especially when you pour your life into your work and into causes and into all of those things, the projects that Solomon went to. You wear yourself out. You break down your health. And in the end, what happens? You die and you leave it all behind and it deteriorates. And uh, Solomon seems to be saying this. You know, a person who can go to bed and sleep at night after a hard day's work, whether they had a steak dinner or whether they ate beans... They sleep at night, and they enjoy their life. They enjoy a relationship with their wife. They enjoy a relationship with their children. They enjoy the relationship they have with their grandchildren, and they say, man, life is good. He said, that's better than being the king of the world, the king of Israel. It's better than having all of the money that you could ever amass and filling your life with it because that's really worth something. Now, he's really not knocking ambition or stewardship or any of those kind of things. He's just saying, get your priorities and your values in order because there are some things that we're going to go through, hopefully very quickly, that I don't care who you are and I don't care what you do and I don't care how much money you have, you're not going to change them because they are part of living in a cursed and fallen world. Not only are people fallen, but the, uh, the, uh, the world, Paul says in the book of Romans, it groans under the weight of the curse. Well, one day that's all going to be done away with, but in the meantime, we've got to face some undeniable realities. And the first one is, is simply this. There is no perfect government. If you are putting your hope in princes... We saw that uh, Wednesday night in the psalm we looked at. Don't put your hope in princes or any son of Adam. Because they can't pull it off. They can't do it. I think maybe by this point in our president's term... I wonder if he is willing to admit that a lot of the things he campaigned on and said, well, it doesn't matter, I will just get it done. Well, he's gotten some things done. But there are certain things that he hasn't been able to get done. Why? Because he, like it or not, he's just a human. And there's bureaucracy, and there is red tape, and there is corruption in our government. Is that a shock? You know what Solomon would say? What's new? What's new? Well, this is the worst it's ever been. Solomon would go, you're delusional. It's been this way in every government, in every situation. You have sinners that are kings. You have sinners that are governors. You have sinners that are officers in the military. You have sinners from the top to the bottom. And that's why he says, when you see oppression... Don't marvel. There's never going to be a just society without oppression until King Jesus returns to rule and reign on the earth. There's not going to be any peace. There's not going to be any real justice until Jesus is sitting on the throne. Now, the longer I live, there's more and more a part of me that says, even so, come Lord Jesus. When I was young, there was a lot of things that I thought, well, I'd really like to experience A, B, C, and D and all of that before the Lord comes back. But the older I get, the more I look at that and say, what a lousy trade. I want the Lord to come back. I'm ready, in some ways more ready than ever, and I suppose as time goes by, that'll increase, hopefully. Ready to go to heaven sometimes. Ready to see the Lord return and the rapture to take us out of here and to take us to a place where we never have to put up with all of the junk and the hurt and the problems that go on in life. And I think sometimes there are people who have an illusion, it may be an honorable illusion, but it's an illusion, that we're going to fix these things. Church is going to be different more effective, more powerful, and all of that, how long do those movements last? They come and they go. There's an ebb and a flow to all of those kind of things. You can't recreate them, you can't manufacture them, and you can't hold on to them. They come and they go like the tide in the ocean. Revival comes and revival goes. There's an ebb and flow in all of that. When we think about political movements, you look around and you see that in a two-party system, you know, the Republicans sometimes have their day, and the Democrats sometimes have their day. And we can't control any of that kind of stuff. It's really strange how fickle we are. There are political parties that once were the, you know, the, the salvation of the country. How many of you are registered in the Whig Party? They go. They come and they go. Democracies rise and they fall. Kingdoms rise and they fall. Dictatorships arise and then they fall. Things like communism rises and then it, then it falls. And it kind of goes out of fashion. A lot of things happen like that. And Solomon said there's going to be oppression. And, and, and the way that he talks in those verses, I think we could sum it up in 21st century English because there are too many layers of government and there are bureaucracies and red tapes and briberies and corruptions and people that are politically motivated to even stop something that is good. I'm convinced in our country today there are people that would stop something they actually believe in if it will hurt their political enemy. Well, what does that get us? Nothing. And we look at that and say, oh, I just can't believe the world that we live in. And here we find this ancient writing from this ancient king that says... What are you so surprised about? This is human nature. This is the way that it is. And you should not be surprised by oppression and a lack of judgment and those kind of things. Well, we might look and we say, well, look at all the progress we've made. You know, think about the way our country used to be with slavery and then with discrimination and Jim Crow laws and all that. Look look how far we've come. And I would agree, that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Very good thing. But at the same time, with all of that, how much poverty still exists? Addictions don't seem to go away, do they? Like the thing we watched with Paul Harvey, they go from one thing to another. Got an opioid crisis now, along with illegal drugs. Now we've got that, and then we've got alcoholism and All this kind of stuff. Now they're telling us that even vaping is bad for you. Boy, we can't win for losing, can we? It's amazing how that happens. And in the midst of all of this, have you ever heard of sex trafficking? Children and others being kidnapped. And what is that? It's called slavery. It's called oppression. And we just can't figure it out. Well, we'll declare it illegal. Wake up. Criminals never obey the law. Right? That's why I get kind of tickled when they say, we'll pass gun laws. Criminals don't obey laws anyway. What are you talking about? It's not like they walk up to rob you and they see a sign, no guns, and they go, well, let's go find another place. They don't obey the law. And that's true with whatever law. When they say you can't legislate morality, I think it's right for the government to take a stand on morality but until you change the human heart, there's always going to be someone that breaks the law. And oppression is part of that. And so slavery still exists. Maybe not in a, in a, a legal, institutionalized form. But it's still here. And it's not just in America either. We didn't invent it. It doesn't stop, uh, start with us or end with us. You can go to nearly any culture in any period of history and you're going to find the same things. Why? It's... A heart problem, isn't it? It's a heart problem. And so when we look around and we say, we're going to end oppression, and we're going to speak out against it. Well, that's fine. Do that. Do that. I urge you to speak up. And I think the Bible demands that we speak up. And being salt and light demands that we do something. How can we just sit back and not do anything about the evil that we see? But at the same time, don't get discouraged. When just because you said something, it doesn't stop it. You can't even do that on a schoolyard with bullying, can you? It happens. It's a part of life. And Solomon says, that's just an inescapable truth. As long as there are sinners walking on earth, there's going to be oppression of other people. Now, the second thing I noticed that he talks about in verse 9, the profit of the land is for all. Uh, Different translations say different things there. But I think this captures it pretty good. Uh, Everybody is interested in the profit that comes from taxes or from the harvest or from manufacturing or from investments. Everybody's interested. In fact, the main reason that we have gambling so prevalent in Oklahoma is because the state figured out they could make money off of it. The main reason that legalizing medical marijuana and probably sometime recreational marijuana ever happens is because well we watch Colorado and we want whoa their tax revenues almost doubled well we can get in on that and the government doesn't really give a rip about you and about your health it's kind of funny to me that in Oklahoma to fund education and some other things we put a tobacco tax on it boy we're going to make those smokers and the tobacco companies pay isn't that great And at the same time, we have an initiative to stop people from smoking? Well, if you're going to make money off of tobacco, you need more smokers. Not less. Because if you get less, that money's going to dry up. You see how illogical government is sometimes? Promoting one thing at the same time, trying to stop it. Well, who thought of that idea? That's crazy. And don't take that as a pro-smoking thing either. You ought not smoke. But... It's just weird how we live in things. Everybody is interested in whatever is profitable. The king, the poor people, the middle class, everybody is. Now, is that bad? Well, it can be. Greed, selfish ambitions, jealousies, covetousness, thievery, you know, all of that, cutthroat businesses, Corruption, all that kind of stuff can be. But at the same time, let's turn that around and let's think about this. President Reagan said, a rising tide lifts all the boats. And you know what? He's right. And there's something that happens when you look at an economy, when you look at a nation. There's something about it that says, if we can start lifting people up, and allowing them to prosper, allowing them to be able to partake of the produce of the land without destroying ambition, without destroying the um, dignity of work, without turning it into just charity for nothing, but we can allow everybody to be a partaker of this, what happens? Is the king going to get rich? Well, you know that's going to happen. The government's always going to get their money. You know? But there's something else that happens in that dynamic. As we pull other people up and help them up, we rise as well. And there's something about all of this that Solomon says you've got to understand that you can't just help one segment of society. Everybody, everybody needs to benefit, or you're going to be back to point number one and there's going to be some kind of oppression. Whenever politicians start saying, free, 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 grab your wallet. Right? Because the more successful you are, the more they're coming after you. And there ain't no such thing as a free lunch or free government, anything. And when are we going to understand that, oh, the government paid for this? The government has no money. That is your money. And they are wasting it. And they're pretty free with other people's money. I like what Margaret Thatcher of England said. Socialism works great until you run out of other people's money. you got to produce. And it's got to be there. And when everything becomes free and we do it to say, oh, we're going to soak the rich in order to help the poor, well, the rising tide is what lifts everybody up, rich and poor. But you know, the same thing is true. When you start pulling one group down, eventually everybody comes down because you can't sustain it and it can't go on. And so Solomon is saying the king as well as the worker, the good, the bad, the rich, the poor, they all are gaining from the profit of the land. And if you're going to stop them from getting it, eventually nobody is going to get it. You stifle everything. That is an undeniable truth of life. Remember that when you vote for people. Remember that when politicians make you promises that they cannot explain. Remember that when they say, we're just going to do it. We're just going to get it done. And they have no idea what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Remember that. And whenever they start saying, well, we're going to have... Uh, pit one class against another or one race against another or any of those kind of things remember that ends up coming back to bite everybody it's when we lift up all and when we work together unified things begin to happen things begin to happen a rising tide will lift all of the boats and Solomon seems to be affirming that in those verses number three here's another inescapable truth Acquisition is not equal to satisfaction or peace. Now, I remember when I was a senior in high school, there was this girl in my class. She had a brand-new 1978 Cougar. Some of you remember those? Oh, man, it was a nice car, nice car. And they had a huge boat. They would go to the lake, and they would do that, and they had a lake house and all of those things. And I was telling my mom about it. Man, I wish we had some of that kind of stuff. And my mom looked at me and she goes, Oh, they're probably not happy. And she was kind of joking. But you know what Solomon would say? That could be true, couldn't it? Now, it could be that they were as happy as a, you know, a pig in slop. Right? Could be. Not all rich people are mean, greedy. Not all rich people are miserable, but a lot of them are, aren't they? A lot of them are. And uh, what is the difference between those who can be uh, sometimes fabulously rich and happy? I think it comes down to their heart before the Lord. If they're right with God and God can entrust them with riches and they're generous with those kind of things, I think you'll find that they overall are pretty happy. But what about the people who put their trust in riches? Remember, we're cautioned not to trust in uncertain riches because Solomon is going to tell us as we uh, even get down to the next point, you know, the, those things don't last forever. There are all kinds of ways to gain money and there are all kinds of ways To lose money, right? And so when we look at this uh, uh, in verse 10, uh, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Well, you would think they would be. I mean, if I love classic cars, wouldn't I be satisfied with a whole garage full of classic cars? If I love, uh, you know, Chinese restaurants, wouldn't I be satisfied if I owned about 10 or 20 of them? Uh, Well, you'd like to think so. And contentment is that thing that's kind of like chasing the rainbow. We all think we'll be the one that'll be different. We'll be the one that'll be content on things. But you know, it's human nature to never be content. And to try to separate that from good, God-honoring ambition, there's a fine line between that and just depraved human greed, isn't there? And uh, boy, it's a fine line. And it's hard, hard to walk on that. It's hard not to be jealous. It's hard not to be envious. It's hard not to covet what other people have. It's human nature to do that. You've got to fight against it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you've got to be aware of it first. And you've got to understand. And I think uh, the younger you are, the harder this may be to do. That getting those things, getting that stuff... If I just could wear that size of jeans, if I just had that kind of a car, if I lived in this kind of a house, if I had a hundred more square feet, if I just had this and this and this, boy, I, would, I promise you I would be happy. That's all I would want. And so we walk around and we look at people and the things that they have and we criticize those things while deep in our heart we want them for ourselves. It's a constant battle. And one of the things that we say amen to, but I'm not sure we really believe it, is the acquisition of stuff and of things, or even of power and prestige. They don't bring satisfaction, is what Solomon says, because you'll never be satisfied with it, and uh, it'll just keep being, well, he calls it vanity, didn't he? And he says, in fact, it gets even worse because when goods increase... (laughs) Those who eat them also increase, right? (laughs) Boy, if I could just win the lottery, I'd be set up for life. And you would find out you have more relatives than you ever knew you had. Right. People will gain interest in you in a hurry. And so uh, it was funny reading it in, in one translation. As I told you earlier, the more loot you get, the more looters show up. And that's kind of the way it is. And so he he goes on down to the next point, and he tells us, number four, inescapable truth of life. Anything gained will be lost. Not might be. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You're going to do something stupid and lose it. You're going to get out of the will of God and lose it. Or you're going to die and lose it. And the statistics are still pretty good. 100% of the people die, don't they? And you're going to leave it all behind. And so Solomon says, I amassed all of this stuff. And he said, you know what? Basically, verse 13 is going, this really stinks. Riches kept for their owner are to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. Misfortune. What could happen that would be a misfortune for the rich? Well, I guess the stock market could crash. I guess banks could fail. I guess someone could break into your home and rob everything that you've got. And uh, I guess maybe you could make... I know you would never do this, but have you ever heard of anybody that made a bad investment? You ever heard of anybody that somebody told them, if you'll just buy stock... Hey, there's always, there's always going to be a need for buggy whips. And you put all of your fortune in that. Oh, it's going to be good. And uh, boy, you curse Henry Ford to this day, don't you? <laughs> Happens. A lot of rich people go up and down. You know Boone Pickens with all of his billions. I think he was bankrupt about twice in doing all of that. Because it comes and it goes some things pay off some things don't some things work some things don't things can change we just don't know and uh, there's nothing wrong with investing in the stock market it's not you know it seems kinda risky but it's a little different than gambling In gambling in order for me to win you have to lose it's covetousness Uh, in the stock market we can all invest in it and we can all win and we can all do well it's a little bit different Uh, But there is risk involved. Risk is involved in life and risk is involved in investing. And sometimes you do some boneheaded things that you look back and go, Boy, I wish I would never done that. Well, the problem is we don't know the future. Things happen. So you live, you make mistakes, you die, things happen, the economy changes, all of that. I mean, whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you're so proud of, whatever it is that you think is going to bring you security... God just has it designed and I think it's a part of his curse on the world and his curse on humanity that none of us are ever going to find satisfaction or peace or security except in the Lord. That's the only place that you're going to find it. Uh, you're going to find it in his word because you're going to lose Everything that you've got. Every single thing that you've got. Your clothes, your automobiles, your money, your investments. You're going to leave it all behind one of these days. And he just goes on to tell us, you're going to leave the way you came. You're going to leave the way you came. And that's going to be with nothing. And uh, are you ready for that? Because he says that... uh, you know when you when you think about there's nothing you get from your labor which you can carry away at death in your hand and he said and that just stinks because just exactly exactly as he came so shall he go now you better be ready for that what profit has he who labored for the wind and that's why we need to be careful i don't want to labor for the wind i want to leave something behind that is a whole lot more than money i want to leave behind a good legacy in my children and in my grandchildren I want to leave behind a good honorable legacy for you the faithful members of our church I don't want to die and then have you find out things about me after I've gone that make you hang your head in shame have you ever heard of those kind of things happening sometimes someone dies and oh my dad was such a great man and then you find his stash of whatever then you find other things that happen that you didn't know about happen sometimes. DNA test, and all of a sudden you find out you have a half-brother or a half-sister. you kidding me? I didn't know that about my dad or whomever it might be. I don't want to die and leave that kind of legacy behind. I want to leave behind, and I want you to do this as well, I want to leave behind a legacy Of people that are walking with God. People that have the truth of God's word invested in their life. People that know love. And people that know compassion and mercy and faithfulness. People that walk in truth. John put it this way. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. I mean really, really. Is there anything better than that when it's all said and done? Wouldn't you rather leave your children with zero in the bank account but have strong, solid, Bible-believing Christians who will carry on the work of God? Because that's what's going to really make a difference. And that's how your life really comes to the point of mattering. I'm not saying don't invest. I'm not saying don't leave an inheritance because the Bible does say a good man leaves an inheritance in Proverbs. But I'm just simply saying this. Make sure the inheritance that you leave is a worthy inheritance of the blood of Jesus Christ. And think about that, okay? And then number five, okay, last one, I promise. Wealth, possessions, and power cannot prevent, quote-unquote, life from happening. You can have billions of dollars and your mate can still die. You can have billions of dollars, be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and your child could still develop cancer. You can have political power and still have your son or daughter killed in combat or terrorism or any number of things like that. In fact, you could be the richest person in Oklahoma And your child could still be kidnapped. Hit by a car. Those kind of things happen. You notice what Solomon says. For all his days. He also eats in darkness. And he has much sorrow. And sickness. And anger. Because a lot of people. You would be surprised. End up like Solomon. Where they say I worked. I accumulated I had everything the world said I needed to be successful. And what did it get me? Chasing after the wind. And all it does is make me mad. It stinks. This shouldn't be happening this way. You know what? Solomon might tap us on the shoulder whenever we get kind of frustrated with life and say, Hey, dudes, wake up. That's why I wrote this. It's always been that way. And I might like to tap Solomon on the shoulder and say, Hey, Solomon, there was a better way. And you knew the difference because God gave you wisdom. Why, oh, why, oh, why didn't you use it? And I might say the same thing. Hey, child of God, hey, member of Graceway Baptist Church, I've got this feeling deep in my soul because I'm human and you're human that you're not living up to everything God has taught you. You're not living up to everything you know is true. And then you look at life and you go, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Because you didn't live up to the wisdom that you had. And your enjoyment of life is gone. You're bored. You're frustrated. You're angry. You're pursuing things that are not really going to matter in the long run and you're neglecting the things that really are going to matter. And let me just tell you, I don't care how faithful you are to church, life is going to happen. I don't care how much you give, how much you quote-unquote tithe. I don't care how much you uh, share with other people. Life is still going to happen. There is no preventive for any of those kind of things. And you're certainly not going to find it in the things of the world. So here's the conclusion All of life is a stewardship to be enjoyed and to share. God's not against you enjoying life. He wants you to. But be generous as you do it. Notice we'll wrap this up by just reading what Solomon says. Here's what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. Notice this is God that gives you the days and the opportunities and makes the harvest come in, and he wants you to enjoy it. For it is his heritage. This is from God. We're stewards. Verse 19, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, God can give you riches. God can give you wealth. That's what it says. And given him power, Romans 13 says, the powers that be are ordained of God, whether they're of your political party or not, right? Sometimes our country doesn't get what it needs, it gets what it deserves, right? God puts him in power. God may give you power. Notice here, he's given to, and given to him power to eat of it, to live off of it, in other words, to receive his heritage, maybe you inherit those things, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life. God doesn't want you brooding about the past. But God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Is there anything you really enjoy Say, well, I used to. That's pretty sad, isn't it? That's a sad way to end up. And as the years and the decades go by, I think your joy should actually increase. But for so many people, it doesn't. For so many people, it doesn't. Because we're investing in the wrong things, and we are rich in the wrong things. And that's why the Bible warns those who desire to be rich. Paul told Timothy, because they fall into snares. It's not a sin to be rich, but it carries responsibility and some danger, doesn't it? And the Bible also says that the most important thing is not to be rich in your 401k, but to be rich toward God and generous, doing good works. So we all could do better at all of that. And that's what brings the flavor, that's what brings the seasoning. That's what brings the spice into life. May we learn from Solomon and realize that these things we've talked about tonight are true, they will always be true, and they will be true long after we're gone. Let's invest in the right things. And let's ask God to give us the privilege to really enjoy our life, to really enjoy our family, to really enjoy the things that He has given us and do it for the glory of God. Wouldn't that be great? And all God's people said, amen. Father, we close tonight by saying, forgive us. Because we've fallen for the American dream instead of the pursuit of God, the pursuit of holiness. We've fallen fallen for what the advertisers tell us we not only want, but they convince us that we need it. And we'll do anything we can to acquire those things because they're supposed to make us happy And even worse, sometimes we think they're going to give us security. And the truth of the matter is we don't find any happiness, enjoyment, or security anywhere but in the God who made us for himself. So help us, Lord, to keep this all in perspective and to realize everything that we have, no matter how much we lock it up, no matter how much we protect it, no matter how much we insure it, we're going to leave it all behind one of these days. And I believe that when the time comes, we're going to gladly leave it behind. But help us to remember that now before it's too late and before we waste too much of our life and before we acquire the wrong kind of riches instead of investing in other people and discipling them and leaving behind people that will take our place and even do more than we have done. So, Lord, help us put life in perspective so that we don't end up cynical like Solomon does by the way, Father, whenever we do see oppression, I pray that we would speak up. I pray that we would do something about it. And I pray that we would be an advocate for the unborn who are being slaughtered in their mother's wombs. I pray that we would be an advocate for those to whom injustice comes. I pray that we would be able to speak up whenever we see oppression. And I pray that you would open up a door for us to truly be salt and light in the things that matter. And let us find joy in it. Which leads me to say, would you bless our efforts with Mission 405? That as we do that, it might cause us not only to alleviate the burdens and help those who are poor, but Lord, in our own life, may it bring greater appreciation for what you've given us. That we might truly enjoy the blessings that we have in the prosperity that you've given us. And we pray this now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Let's stand and let's sing together before we leave. In his presence. Bless us all with the grace to not only sing that, but to believe it and to live by it. It's a great, great, great way to live. Okay, I hope the Lord spoke to you tonight and hope that this kind of resets some things in your own heart and your own life and the way that you look at the world. And remember, Jesus is America's only hope, just like He's your only hope as well. And may we always look to Him. Okay, anything else we need to say? Sign up for all the stuff that's out there at the Information Center. Looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner again with you guys. Okay. So, are we good? Okay, we're good. Okay. You are dismissed. We'll see you on Wednesday night. And uh, enjoy the cool weather tomorrow, okay? Yeah.